0: We'll go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. It was just a couple months ago that my friend Ryan Pierce and I rang the doorbell on this building for the first time. That was back in November. We had had a couple of exciting Sundays, and we were thinking, man, we got to take our church to the next level. I know what could we do to take our church to the next level. Maybe God could give us a place to do a wanna. That was our idea. And so we were like, let's go ask a few churches if they would allow us to have a wana at their building. And we went up to a few churches and we rang the doorbell and we met one of the pastors that was here and it's a very friendly guy. And we said, Do you think that one night a week we could come in here and do a wana? You know, it's for kids, it's memorizing Bible verses. We're not big church, what do you think? And he said, Well, actually, and he told us of a sad story about how the church well, it was going to have to leave the property and so they couldn't let us use Awana and as planting a church it was hard to hear about a church closing and our heart went out to them but then as Ryan and I were driving away we were like whoa that means maybe a different church could go into that building and we began to pray and God opened a door for us to make an offer on the building and God opened a door for the landlord to accept that offer and God opened the door on January 1st for us to move into this building. And today, God has opened a door for us to have our first service here in this place. You think, you think we can do a Wana in here? You think this place will be all right for Wana? You see how much greater God was thinking than what we were thinking? Now, I don't know what's up, what's up with us in first services and crazy weather, but if you were at our first service at Marina High School, it was like the hottest weather we've had in Huntington Beach in a decade, and now we got like the monsoon, you know? I don't know what's going on. But I do remember one thing I said at that first service as I was looking at a bunch of miserable, sweating people in the bowl at Marina High School. I said, hey, if God takes us here in, in Marina, or if he takes us into comfortable seats with AC, here's one thing you can count on we're going to do at Compass Bible Church. We're going to preach this book right here, all right? And so that's what I want to do right now, is I want to open up this Bible to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. We have picked a special text that we're going to work through all week. We'll be working through Matthew 16 and 17, a very special week in the life of our church. And I want, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible but if you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 822, so it would be great if everybody could turn there. We're going to turn to a bunch of Bible passages. If you don't know where they all are, at least you could find Matthew 16 on pages 800, page 822. I believe this is the most critical passage in the Gospel of Matthew or any of the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the turning point. It's the confession Of who Jesus really is. And once the disciples say who Jesus really is, things change from then on. So read with me, well, maybe one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, Matthew chapter 16. Start with me in verse 13, please. It says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We want to make it very clear right from the beginning. As excited as we are to be in a building here in Huntington Beach, we're not going to build this church on a building jesus christ is going to build this church on the rock of who he is can i get an amen from anybody on that okay we're not putting our confidence in the fact that we have a place we want to put our confidence in christ that's why we want to direct our attention to this passage and as you study the bible the more information you have about the bible the more it's going to help you to understand it so i don't know when you read in verse 13 let's start from the beginning When it says Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, I don't know if that's just one of those Bible names of cities that you've never been to or never planned to be at, so you don't really know what Caesarea Philippi is, but it helps if you do know. It tells you something. That's an important detail. And so let me just put a map of Israel up here on the screen. Wait a minute. We've got screens, everybody. (laughs) Now, I know some of you guys who have been to normal churches, you're like, what are these people so excited about? I could point to a picture. This is amazing. So there's Israel right there. Okay. Now let's talk about some places in Israel that you're familiar with. Okay. Who's heard of Jerusalem? Anybody ever heard of Jerusalem? Okay. That's in the the south. Okay. So in the southern area right here by the Dead Sea. We've got some places maybe you've heard of, Jerusalem being kind of the, the capital city, and then you've got Bethlehem, Jericho, maybe you've heard of them, right? And so we know Jesus, he ends up dying there in Jerusalem. That's kind of the hub of everything in Israel. That's the cent- central point for the Jews. But then we hear a lot about the north area of Israel. Uh, The Sea of Galilee, and you can maybe think of Jesus walking on the water or calling the disciples who are fishermen, and we know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and we hear about Capernaum and these other coastal towns. So you've got the southern part around Jerusalem, you've got the northern part around the Sea of Galilee, and most of the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels happen at one of those two different places. So maybe you're familiar with them. But when it says Caesarea Philippi, we're talking about the way up north here. Okay? We're talking about a territory that is modern day Syria. Not even really in the, in the nation of Israel anymore. So when it says we went up to the region of the, the district of Caesarea Philippi, what it's saying there is we left it all behind for a minute. We got out of the the hubbub of Jerusalem where the religious leaders were really starting to hate on Jesus and come against him. And we even moved away from Galilee where these massive crowds were starting to follow Jesus around because of his teaching and his miracles. No, we've kind of gone on a little retreat. This is like a getaway, like we're trying to hide. And here now where it's quiet, where it's just Jesus and His innermost disciples, here we're going to now have, kind of as we retreat away, the most important conversation that Jesus and His disciples have ever had. So we're getting away to focus on what really matters. We're going way north. That's what you should hear when when you hear the idea of Caesarea Philippi. And that's what we want Compass Bible Church to be. Okay, There's a reason we, we call ourselves Compass. Okay? Because we want to point people in a certain direction. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's very hard in the hubbub, in the bustle, in the busyness of Orange County, right? Everybody here is a busy person. I don't even have to ask you, right? That's just how it is. And it's hard to quiet yourself. It's hard to slow down and just take a moment with you and your family, much less to quiet your soul. And to have a conversation about what really matters. How many times this week did you have a conversation between you and God or with someone else about death? Death is pretty much the biggest problem that we're facing in life. Did you have a problem with anybody about their, their heart, the eternal part of their being? We call it a soul. Did you have a conversation about not how you're doing, how your day's going, what it's on your to-do list, but you on the inside. It's very hard to talk about these things in Orange County, California, in the year 2015. So much superficiality, so much busyness. Whenever you come into this place here at Compass, where we want to take you is way north, Okay. We want to take you above everything that's going on in the day to day, and we want to have the conversation here that really matters. And Jesus Christ, he's going to kick off what I'm suggesting is the most important question that you're ever going to be asked. Look at it with me in verse 13. He starts with a lead up question. OK, and he says, who do people say that the son of man is? Now, the real question he's going to get to, clearly this is a setup question. The real question is in verse 15. Who do you say that I am? Most important question, any person in this room will ever be asked. The ultimate test in life, it's a pass or fail test. Who do you say Jesus is? But before he gets to that, he starts with what's the talk? What do people say? What are the ideas that are out there? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the answer comes here in verse 14. Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Okay, Now Jesus, He, he is clearly a different kind of dude here in Israel. I mean, no one ever in the Gospel accounts tries to deny that Jesus did real miracles. That He did things that could not be naturally Explained. In fact, even his enemies, they couldn't try to act like the things didn't happen. They just said that demons were the reason that Jesus could do miracles. But everybody had to admit there was something unique, special, supernatural about Jesus Christ. And so there was a lot of talk. And the consensus here is, well, maybe he's John the Baptist. Now at this point, John the Baptist is dead. Everybody that they mention here has already died. And so how can this man do these supernatural things? The prevailing theory going around was that he must be somebody from the past who has risen from the dead. See. He must be somebody who's come back and that's why he can show us a glimpse into the other side and so people have their different little theories about who he is some think john the baptist kind of pick your favorite old testament prophet for sure he's a prophet he's a man of god he's a spokesperson for the almighty that's the consensus here okay now notice they don't answer with the negative view on jesus everything that they say here is a good thing Being a prophet, speaking for God, all of these men that Jesus is compared to here, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, they're all held in high regard in the Bible. So these are good things that they say about Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's really the problem. The problem is too many people are saying good things about Jesus Christ and not God things about Jesus Christ. Too many people have lowered Jesus from who he really is. The answer was in the question. It says, who do people say that the son of, what does Jesus say there? Who do people say that the son of man is? The son of man was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself. Jesus has many different names that that is used to describe him in the New Testament. But the one he liked to drop was, well, I'm the son of man, and he would say that. And so when he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is, you could look at Mark chapter 8 or Luke chapter 9 where it says this same account, and it's also said, who do people say that I am? Because that's how Jesus would refer to himself, is as the Son of Man. Now right there that son of man it sounds like he's saying born of a woman a a normal man but if you know your old testament if you know your bible you're going to realize Jesus is already giving a hint to the answer of who he is turn to Daniel chapter 7 let's go back into the old testament because Jesus is dropping a reference that this is going to make a lot more sense if you know what he's referring to because in Daniel chapter 7 it refers to one like a son of man and when I hear son of man, that sounds humble. That sounds lowly for a title for God, but not if you've ever read Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 to 14 on page here 745 if you got one of our Bibles. Look at this with me. It says in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, I saw in the night visions, here's an Old Testament prophet Daniel, and he makes this prophecy. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. So here's this guy riding on the clouds and he comes to the Ancient of Days, which is the title, To God the Father in Heaven. And this one riding on the clouds is presented before God the Father in Heaven. And to him, this Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, that means his absolute unquestioned authority. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see how that's the answer to the question? Okay? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Prophet doesn't cut it, good moral teacher doesn't cut it. Anything less than the one with absolute authority over all living beings. That's who Jesus Christ really is. And so we've got to say that the biggest problem we've got is this middle ground view of Jesus. Let's get that down for point number one. No more middle grounds. We've got to be done with this Jesus Christ that'll just kind of come and sprinkle some blessing on your life and do a bunch of good things for you and just kind of be the Savior that you want Him to be because He's really all about you. we got to watch out for how people talk about Jesus Christ. You know, if I were to ask you, who do people say that Jesus is today? There's a lot of different answers that you could give me to that question. Because politicians, all the politicians in American history always refer to Jesus in a popular way, and a positive way. But it doesn't seem to me like they really are following Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen from everybody on that one right? Okay. I mean, if somebody knocked on your door and they were telling you about Jesus Christ, do you think they would be telling you about what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? Or would they probably be Jehovah's Witnesses? Very friendly people with the yellow literature that they'll leave if you're not there. Maybe you've seen that before, right? Do they believe that Jesus is God? Well, kind of. They believe that Jesus is a God. That Jesus was created by God and then Jesus created everything else. He's kind of a middleman, which is impossible because the Creator cannot be created. But that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you about Jesus Christ. How about what the Mormons would say about Jesus Christ? Would the Mormons tell you that Jesus Christ is God? Yes, they would. And they'd be happy to. And they're probably the friendliest people that you're going to meet on the street, right? But then if you dig a little deeper and you find out what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints really teaches, what they teach is that Jesus was born the brother of Satan and that he went the right way and Satan went the wrong way and he became a God. That's not what Daniel 7, 13 to 14 is saying. There's a lot of bad information about Jesus. In fact, I would go so far as to say more people in Huntington Beach have heard the wrong view of Jesus than the right view of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, the biggest problem is churches like ours who are giving you this idea that Jesus will love you if you don't do what he says. Like you can have all the salvation of Jesus, but none of the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Like you can somehow experience his blessings without being under his dominion. That's the biggest problem is this halfway view on Jesus where he's done everything for you and requires you to do nothing for him. You're not going to meet that Jesus Christ in the Bible. No, there's one who's coming on the clouds and every eye will see him and everyone will mourn because he has absolute authority and you have to do what Jesus Christ says. That's the implication of the Scriptures. And so we've got people here today in this room right now who would say after this service positive things about Jesus Christ, but unless He calls the shots in your life, unless He is the one that is above all things and He gets to tell you whatever He wants you to do and you're ready to do it, then you don't have the right view of Jesus Christ. You have a weak-sauce middle view of Jesus that is so common right now. So many people think they know Him. And what does He say, my friends? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and what will he say to many people who think they know who he is? Depart from me. I never knew you. There's a lot of people who have the wrong view of Jesus that are sitting in churches exactly like this one, and they don't see who he really is. Do you see that Jesus Christ is someday going to come on the clouds? This is the problem that they had in the time of the New Testament. They wanted a Messiah. They were like, okay, let's do this right here. We like this. See verse 14, Daniel 7, 14. Dominion, glory, kingdom. That, that, yeah, we'll have that right now. Let's make Israel the biggest, baddest, best nation on the planet. And all the other nations, they can bow down to our Messiah who will reign over them. That sounds good. Every Jew was longing for that Messiah to come and reign and judge. And then came Jesus Christ. And he didn't assert himself to that authority. In fact, he humbled himself and he died on a cross. No Jew wanted their Messiah on a cross. See? And they totally misinterpreted who he was. They were ready for somebody to reign and conquer, and they got a humble Savior instead, and they rejected him and said, Crucify him. In our day, it's pretty much the exact opposite. See? Oh, we want the humble Savior. Oh, come and make me stop feeling guilty about my sin. Oh, come and take away the burden of all the bad things that I've done. But then to be the boss, then to be the ruler, then to get to reign over me and tell me what to do. See, that's the part we're tripping out about, isn't it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? That's what Jesus Christ thinks. If you're going to call him Lord, if that's your answer to who is Jesus, he's the Christ. And you've got to be ready to do what he says. We've lost the meaning of Messiah. When it says that he's the Christ, let's make sure everybody gets this note. If you're taking notes, write this down. Christ equals Messiah. Christ is the New Testament way to say an Old Testament idea of Messiah. And Messiah, if we were to translate it, it means anointed one. Hopefully, if you've been coming to Compass, you've heard this before, you can nod your head at me right now and let me know you're tracking, right? But if you're just joining us, Jesus is the anointed one. And everyone who got anointed in the nation of Israel had a position of authority. Kings got anointed because they ruled over the people. Prophets got anointed because they spoke with the authority of God Himself. Priests got anointed because they could bring people straight into the presence of God. Everybody who got anointed was an authoritative representative of God Himself. And so when the Messiah comes... He's going to have an authority that people have forgotten about Jesus Christ. I mean, the truth is, we should be longing for the Messiah just like the Jewish people were. Do we not need somebody to come and make things right in this messed up world? Do we not need somebody to ride in on the clouds and save the day right now? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm talking to Americans, my bad. Because we are the biggest, baddest, best nation on, on, on the planet, right? And we kind of like that because we've got a government that's of the people and it's for the people and it's by the people. So who's the Lord? Who's the king? Who's the prophet? Who's the priest in America? See, I don't, I, I don't know why Burger King's still in business. If you go to Burger King, you should come talk to me after the service because I don't go there and I ask people, do you go there? I can't find anybody who goes there, <laughs> but I still see it all over the place. And I, whenever I drive by Burger King, they got such a catchy slogan that's so unbiblical, I can't get it out of my mind, right? What is it? Your way, right away. Anybody ever heard that before? At Burger King now, right? I, I, it's, it's in there, right? And there you are, king of your domain, kicking back a big, beefy patty. That's America right there, see? We think that we are in charge. You think you capitalist you person who believes in this recent experiment called democracy you think that you're in control of your own life that's wrong jesus christ is in control of your life jesus christ is the lord of heaven and earth and someday he's going to come on the clouds we're not making this up this is this is the future Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. What they were longing for in the Old Testament, we should be longing for in the New Testament because it's still yet to happen. Oh, Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose. But let me ask you, where is Jesus Christ right now? And what does he look like? Because right now, He's at the right hand of the Father. Right now, the Son of Man is standing before the Ancient of Days and He's getting ready to get back on His clouds and ride back in and rule and reign and exercise authority and judgment. That's where Jesus is. And here's a passage, it describes His humility, His love, the sacrifice that we've already sung about, that we want to celebrate. And then it says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, and has bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is... What does it say there, my friends? Oh man. The boss. The one who is in charge. And when everybody gets down on their knees and confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord, whatever title you want to use for His death, deity God is going to be pleased it gives great glory to God the father when his son is exalted to his rightful place do you believe this can you see this we can't see it by sight so I'm asking if you have the eyes of faith this morning can you see a day that is yet in the future when Jesus Christ will come on the clouds and every single person whether they believed in him or not will bow because it's a fact that he is lord and your tongue will confess you will say it you will hear it come out of your mouth he has the authority and dominion over my life that's who he is that day is coming this is reality we're not making this up this is what the bible clearly teaches And the reason we're gathered here this morning is to make sure that everybody here can say by faith what someday you will say by sight, that Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to make the good confession of who Jesus is in your life. Just like Peter did, just like every person will do, have you seated here right now. Who do you say Jesus is? I'm not talking about if you know that he's Lord and that's the right answer. I'm talking about is that the real answer for your life? That you live to do one very simple thing. Obey your Lord Jesus Christ. That's, your del- that's even your desire. It's your delight. It's not a duty. It's something you do because you want to do it. Because you love Jesus Christ. Because you believe, who better to call the shots? Who better to tell me what to do? Could I ever have a better master? Surely sin, surely Satan, surely my own self could not tell me what to do. Like my loving Lord Jesus Christ, who else would I want to run my life? Hopefully that's what you're saying very quietly because we're that kind of church, right? But hopefully you resonate with that. Go back to Matthew 16 and that's what Peter says. And you just got to notice here, the official language that all of a sudden starts coming out, right? We throw out the the teaser question, okay, who do people say that the Son of Man is? We get a lot of good answers that are all the wrong answers, okay? And then we ask the question, but who do you say that I am? Pop quiz, pass or fail, eternity hangs in the balance. And notice how all of a sudden here in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, right? Like how does it get so official all of a sudden? You notice that? Like I, I just call him Peter. Do you just call him Peter, right? But now all of a sudden he steps forward, right? And he's Simon Peter. Like, notice this is a very important thing that he's about to say. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. Which is to say that He is one in essence with the Father. That is a statement of deity. I'm not calling you a prophet. I'm calling you God. That's what He says right there. I see you for who you really are. And Jesus answered him. Notice the official, the officialness of this. Blessed are you, Simon. Bar-Jonah. I mean, now all of a sudden this guy's got all these different names, right? It's like, well, Simon Peter came forward and answered and then he says, right you are. And that's like, Simon, son of Jonah. That's what Bar means there. Son of Jonah. Do you see what just happened? Who am I? You're the Christ. Son of the living God. You're right, Simon, son of Jonah. We're like exchanging official names here, right? I mean, there's, this is a very, in, they're, they're trying to draw your attention. This is a unique statement here. In fact, this is like the turning point. Once once Peter says this now if you look down in verse 21 the heading there Jesus foretells his death and resurrection If you want to do something fun go read Matthew 1 through 16 all the way up till there and you'll see that Jesus never talks about his dying or his rising again until this moment where they say who he is and once they say him for who he really is then he says now Let me tell you what I came here to do. Now that you know who I am, let's get to the second part, what I'm here to do. But first, they had to see that he was the Christ. And it says here in verse 17, blessed are you. Oh, wow. That's so privileged that you would know that, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You can't figure this out for yourself. You can't learn this but my Father who is in heaven. The only way that you can see Jesus on the clouds, the only way that Jesus can become Lord of your life where you want to live for Him is if the Father reveals it to you. God has to save you. You can't save yourself. You can't be a better person. You can't try harder. Coming to church isn't going to earn you points or stickers in heaven. God has to reveal it to you. And he says, wow, Peter, do you realize what you just said? The only way you could know that and truly have put your faith in that is because God opened your eyes to see who I am. You see a man before you, but behold, I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. And you get it. What a privilege. I mean, if you can say here this morning that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and you know that you live in obedience to Him, do you realize the only reason that you can say that is because God revealed it to you? Because He was good enough to open your eyes to see. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a passage that describes this enlightenment, this eye-opening, this revelation, where God gives someone sight to see Jesus for who He really is. There's no other way that you're just gonna one day get it unless God reveals it to you. And it describes it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so many people are are perishing. They, They don't know God. They're out in the darkness. They're lost. And here's what's happened. Verse four, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Another statement of his deity for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We're not here to talk about Compass Bible Church. No, we're here to talk about Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves. We're just servants. We're just servants of the master. For Jesus sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Everybody here was born blind. That's what this passage is saying. You cannot see who Jesus really is. You may think you know the facts about Him, but to see Him by faith, to where your life is surrendered to His Lordship, to where you become His servant, no, God, He reveals that to you. He opens your eyes so that you can see the glory that is Jesus Christ. I mean, clearly you can see by the way they take His name in vain by the irreverent references that are made to churches like this one all over America, uh, all of the time. There is not a high view of Jesus Christ in America right now, here in, here in Huntington Beach. People don't worship Him as God. They, they, they don't see it. He's coming, riding on the clouds, but they can't picture it. They mock it. They think it's something that is fictitious, made up to make people feel better about themselves. And some of us here, we have had the privilege of God opening our eyes and now we can see what is real. Now we can see that Jesus Christ in His coming, both in how He came before to pay for our sin and how He will come again to reign over us, that is the glory of God. And our eyes see it and we worship it and we love it and it reorients our entire lives to where now my passion is is jesus christ have your eyes been opened my friends to see the glory of jesus christ can you see it here this morning can you worship it from your heart can you live for it do you have a desire for jesus that never goes away that you can always see revived and brought back in your heart have your eyes really been opened it's a work that god does who do you say that Jesus is? It's not, most people, you can tell they don't get it because they refer to a Jesus of the past. They refer to a man who lived 2,000 years ago. The question is in the present tense Who do you say Jesus is right now? Some people in this room can see him. And some people, you kind of understand what we're talking about, but your eyes have not really been opened to see the glory. How can you know which person you are? How can you know if you're spiritually seeing or blind here this morning? Go to Acts chapter 2. Okay, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And let's look at the first sermon of the church And Jesus made a promise. We'll go look at it in a minute. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter was Simon Peter, Simon Barjona. He was the appointed spokesperson who preached the first sermon of the church. And he preaches it here in Acts 2, and you could read the whole sermon. It goes on for a while. There's a miracle. The Holy Spirit shows up, draws a great crowd with a loud sound of a mighty rushing wind. They're speaking in different languages so people from all over the world can understand what they're saying. So a massive crowd comes together and Peter preaches. And guess what he preaches? That Jesus is the Christ. The Lord. And he ends his sermon with this in Acts 2, verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel, let every single person who can hear My voice, all the Jews at that time, let everybody know therefore Know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, can you imagine walking right back to the same people who shouted crucify Him and rejected Jesus, and now you go to Him and say, hey, I just want to make it clear who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. And by the way, you killed Him. That's how you preach sermons right there. That's pretty intense. you got your pointy finger out. And you're saying it's your fault that He died. Now how can you know if you see Jesus as Christ and Lord? Well, you'll have the response that these people had that day. Many of them. Look what happens in the next verse. When they, when they really got who Jesus was, it says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted over their sin. See, they realized that Jesus had died in their place. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, when you really see Jesus, you do something about it. There's no way that you've ever seen the glory of Jesus and had your eyes opened if your life continued to be the same as it was before. You can't see the glory of the Almighty Lord and just keep going about your Orange County busy life. It will shake you to your core. It will change you from the inside out. And they know they need to do something. And here's the response. This is what we would still say to anybody here today and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because your sins need to be forgiven and then you'll get this new life. You'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, how great it will be for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off people meeting on the other side of the world in their first service in a new building 2015 everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and then with many other words he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation you can't keep living like everybody else turn around repent stop the sin And those who received his word, those who could see Jesus and believe, they put their faith in what he was saying. They were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, that's how you do a first service right there. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that is impressive. The eyes were opened; The people could see. And what you see when you see Jesus is you see your sin for what it is and you don't want it. And you turn from it. And you want more of Him. You want to serve Him. That's what we see here. And they're willing to get baptized in front of everybody to say that now my life, I've been washed of my sin. I have this new life in Christ. And I want to let everybody know publicly my main interest, my primary purpose, my number one consuming passion from this day forward will be Jesus Christ forever. Nothing will ever excite my heart like living for him. That's what they say. And a church breaks out. Revival takes over the city of Jerusalem. That's what happens when people see Jesus Christ. See, It's more than knowing the facts. It's when your heart gets made new and you get the Holy Spirit and you turn from your sin. When did you turn from your sin to follow Jesus Christ? Who do you say that Jesus is? I'm sure we have some people who realize right now I didn't really know Jesus walking in here this morning. And I hope we have many people like that throughout our days that God gives to us in this building. And if you ever want to talk to somebody after the service, or if you would bring a friend and they want to talk to somebody, because maybe, usually the way I hear people answer the question of who do you say Jesus is, if they don't know Jesus, they answer it with this question, well, what should I do, see? Okay, now I see who Jesus is, and I realize if he's the Lord, and he's the judge, and he reigns supreme, well, I don't live up to his standard, so tell me, somebody help me, how do my sins get forgiven? How do I get saved like you guys are always talking about? How do I start this new life living for Jesus Christ? Well, anytime you come into this room, there's always people that you can talk to. Okay, we've got this team that we're going to call Compass Connect. And they'll welcome you. You know, every church has got a greeting team. Thank you for being here. So good to have you. But really what they want to do is they want to talk to you about this question right here. They want to talk to you about your soul. I mean, we'll greet your body, but we want to talk to your soul. That's what we want here at this church. I mean, we'll give your body donuts. Don't get me wrong. We got a whole room dedicated, okay? But I care about who you think Jesus is. I care about the state of your soul right now. I care about where you're going to go when you die. Because your body is temporary. See? And we got people who want to talk about it. Outside this door, there'll be a compass connect table. You could pour out your heart. Those people have been trained. They're ready to talk to you. Up in front of this door, there will be people here ready to talk to you. I will be standing up here after the service. And it would make my day if you would want to come and say to me, what should I do? Because people who see Jesus do something about it. They respond to God's revelation. Let's get that down for point number two. We want to respond to God's revelation. You can't say you've seen Jesus without a radical transformation in your life. A turning from sin and a living for Him. See, Many people will call Jesus Lord, but few people live like it. And the people who live like it are those who have really seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Go back to Matthew 16, because I want to get to this promise that should be so inspiring for us as a church that wants to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Well, here's a promise that he says. It's like Peter, right answer, you pass the test, and then he just drops the ultimate promise here for people like us living in the New Testament time of the church. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, see, little wordplay going on here. This is Matthew 16, 18. You're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the name Peter means rock, see? And, and so he's doing a little word play. He's saying you're Petros and on this Petra, that's in the Greek language, I'm going to build my church. Now there's been a lot of debate. There's a lot of confusion about how to interpret that particular verse right there. Because we have some, some people that we know, a certain church who has kind of said that, that what Jesus has done here is he has made Peter the first pope and he has given now Peter the authority to lead the church how Peter thinks and that kind of has led to the papacy which has led to what we know today as Roman Catholicism and so that's one interpretation that people have where it kind of puts a man as a guy who's the head of the church. Now personally, I don't believe any man should ever be running the church of Jesus Christ. I think he can do a fine job of that on his own. And I think when it says the rock here, we're not referring to Simon Peter, Simon Barjona. No, we're referring to the correct answer. We're referring to the revelation that God gave to him. We're referring to the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock that the church is built on. That's the foundation for everything after. If you don't start with the right foundation, it will crumble and fall. It has to be Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord God. That has to be what we're building on. And if you've got that foundation, basically Jesus says, I'll take it from there. Basically. I'll build it. Let me promise you something that I'm going to do. You keep exalting me, you keep worshiping me, you keep obeying me, and here's what I'll do. And this should encourage all of us who are just starting this new church. I will build my church. That's what Jesus says. See? And if you want to invest your life in something that you know is going to yield a great reward, if you want a bandwagon jump on a winner, okay, then I would recommend giving your whole life to the church of Jesus Christ only thing promised guaranteed success is jesus building his church okay you're like man i'm gonna come and check out this church i'm gonna get a part man this church is just getting started they don't even know what they're doing clearly look at some of this stuff right i'm gonna come in here and i'm going to become a part of this church good decision good decision there's a lot of hobbies you could be doing on a sunday morning a lot of ways you could be spending your time. Sleep being one of the things that we're all thinking about at this time, right? Or lunch might be something that's starting to come into your brain or stomach, however you work. You know what I mean? But if you decide, I'm going to invest myself in this promise right here. I'm going to believe that this is true. And I'm going to believe that he has all authority. And so if he says, I'm going to build my church, then he can do it. And I want to start being a part of that. And I want to give my time to that. And I want to give my money to that. And I want to get to know these other people that Jesus Christ died on the cross for so they could have their sins forgiven. And I want to start loving people like Jesus loved people. I want to start seeing people not like we see people as like a race or a gender or or whether they're rich or poor. No, I want to start seeing people as souls. And I want to start seeing people whether they're in the light or whether they're in the darkness, whether they can see Jesus or whether they're still blind. And I want to know how to talk to people and lead them into the light of Jesus Christ. Best way you could ever spend your life. To invest. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, Jesus makes the promise that he's going to build the church, but here's the amazing thing. If you call Jesus Lord and you're ready to serve him, he will use people like us here at Compass Bible Church, Huntington Beach, to build his church. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, start in verse 9. And he says here, We are God's fellow workers, you are God's field you are god's what does he say there my friends building are we talking about this place 28,000 square feet of raw sanctification is that what we're talking about here now this is the building right here the saved souls collected here in this fellowship he says you are the building And according to the grace of God given to me, I am like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation. And now somebody else is building upon it. And let each one take care how he builds upon it. We can all grab a mop, grab a broom, grab a shovel, grab a hammer, and we can all start building on the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ. There's enough work for everybody here to do for the rest of your life to build, it says. So make sure you're building on the right foundation. And hey, verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. It's Jesus Christ. He's what you build the church on. The fact that he's the Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, there's two types of ways you can invest into the church of Jesus. You can build on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, giving your best, serving the Lord with all your heart. Or you can build on it, it says here, with wood, hay, straw, leftovers what time you got, a little bit of cash in your pocket, maybe no serious investment. Well, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, if you build on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, if your work survives, well, you're going to receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there's going to be an evaluation. You're, You're a servant, it's saying. You're a slave. And your master at the end, he's going to come to you and he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, hey, you didn't really invest your life. You didn't really build on the right foundation. Oh, you built your company. Oh, you built your family. Oh, you built your portfolio, you built up a great network of people, but you didn't build on the rock of Jesus Christ. The one thing that promises to last. What are you investing your life in? And so many people, they're living, they're giving everything they've got, and it's all going to crumble. Point number three, please build your life on the rock. Make sure you've got the solid foundation. I'm saying this to you because I care about you. I don't preach these things because people like them. A lot of people don't like them. I preach these things because I want you to see that if Jesus isn't the foundation, then what is your life going to amount to? If you're not living to do what the Lord says, then what will it matter when you meet him? Someday you will stand before Jesus as a soul and he will evaluate your life. He is the Messiah The Lord, He is God. Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? If you were to die today, could you stand before Him? And would He say, well done, look at how you invested your life. There is reward. Or would it be insufficient foundation for your life? Jesus preached a sermon, His most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Maybe you've read it before. And at the end of the sermon, he uses analogy of building on a rock. And he says, hey, there was a man. And he built his house on the rock and a storm came and the winds blew and the house stood firm. And there was another guy. He built his house on whatever he wanted to build it on. Sand. Built it on himself. Built it on making money. Built it on pleasure. And the storm came and the wind blew. And the house fell down. And here's the last line of Jesus' sermon. And great was the fall of that house. He walks away. End of sermon. And I don't want your house to fall down. I don't want this house to fall down. I want you to be able to stand in front of your Lord. And the only way to do that is to make sure that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And today is the day. We didn't come here because this is the first service in the new building. We came here because this is the first service for some people to see Jesus Christ. And today is your day of salvation. If you know you don't know him, you can know him right now. Don't put it off. See, I'm a rookie pastor, okay? It's the first time I've ever had a building. I guarantee you some things aren't going to work out, and I just want to apologize right now, okay? Okay? If you didn't get a good parking spot, I'm sorry. We're going to work on it, all right? I'm just learning how to to pastor a church. But I've been doing this for a while. As far as addressing souls with Jesus Christ, I've had the privilege of working with people of all different ages. I kind of specialized with young people, though. For over a decade, I I preached the gospel of Jesus to young people. And when you do youth ministry, see, they have this idea that you should take everybody away, like take them way up north or take them somewhere out of the way, out of the city where you could just kind of get them isolated, and, and you do camp. See, that's what we do for the young people. We do a winter camp and we do a summer camp. For 12 years, I went away with young people and did camp two times a year. And I was like, eventually, if I'm going to keep doing this, I've got to learn how to do it, right? And I tried to do it to the best of my ability. And eventually, we got to start our own camp, and we called it Revival. And the whole point of the camp, yeah, we had fun. We played crazy games. And yeah, we tried to get everybody hanging out because we want the young people to be welcomed and included. But the main thing we wanted to do was help eyes be open to see Jesus Christ. And we called it Revival. And we started, we started doing it for years, And you know what we saw? We saw young people become completely new right in front of us. And we saw them start getting saved. And I started to think to myself, you know, why don't churches, why why doesn't like the whole church go way up north sometimes? Like, why doesn't the whole church do camp? I started thinking about, we need church camp. Why is it just the young people that get to go away and worship Jesus all week long, and they're all getting saved, and great things are happening, right? And then, no, you're an adult, you don't get Jesus like that anymore. I mean, what's up with that? And so I started pitching this idea to everybody, we're going to do camp for the entire church, and people looked at me like, yeah, 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 youth pastor, you know what I mean? Like, you don't understand how the real world works, where people got jobs and mortgages, and you can't get all the dads and the moms and the little kids all over there, playing crazy games at camps, ha, ha, ha. I've got an idea. What if we do camp right here, see? What if this is like we set up for revival, see? What if we bring people back Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Sunday after Sunday for year after year? What if we just see people get saved right here, see? What if we started thinking, like, we need to have a revival, not like we set up the tent for a week, but like we're in a building, for as long as God will let us be here. See? Why do the young people get all the excitement? Why can't the church have it? Okay? You think this is anything different than a tent that we're sitting in right now? You think this is going to last forever? The only building that will last forever is the one Jesus Christ is building in his people that he saves. And people tell me, your days of revival are over. You're not, you're not seeing that kind of stuff anymore. People have said that to me. And let me tell you something about revival. Let me tell you something about when Jesus saves people. It never stops. You dropped your baby off in the infant room here at our new building. You handed your baby to this young woman who got saved at revival, who moved up here to plant this church because she loves Jesus Christ. If you worshipped today and you heard that keyboard being played, You heard somebody who got saved by Jesus Christ at one of these revivals. Young, unsuspecting people wanting to get away for a weekend and have fun with their friends. And then all of a sudden they saw Jesus Christ and their life changed forever. See, that's what needs to happen to you. That's what needs to happen to everybody in Huntington Beach. That is what we are here to do is see a revival that is going to begin and not end until Jesus Christ comes riding on the clouds. And everyone gets on their knee and says with their tongue, He is Lord. Will you say that today? Who do you say Jesus is? God, I pray for these people. I pray for myself. I pray that You will give us the view of Jesus Christ in all of His glory and that we would worship Him with all of our hearts. And God, my heart breaks for those who are here today having a great time, hopefully, in our new building. But God, may be missing the point of seeing who Jesus is. God, please open eyes right now. Bring people out of the darkness and into the light. Let them see Jesus in His glory. Let, let us see our sin for what it is cut people to the heart so that they would come up to me or one of our people here at the doors and say what shall I do and God let us see you save people not only here this morning but Tuesday night Wednesday night Thursday night next Sunday when we have baptism service as we have hear the testimonies of people that you have already saved God work a great revival in the city of Huntington Beach Let this building just be a tent that we're setting up for a little while where we're going to get people excited about the glory of Jesus Christ until He comes and we get to see it with our eyes. Let us see it now by faith. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.